morning, Cornerstone. How are you this morning? My name is Jeff Noonan. Like Scott said, I'm a member here at Cornerstone Church. You probably know my wife a little better than I do. She is the, I don't know what they, she's the accountant. She's the office coordinator. She does all sorts of things for the office, but she also keeps me in check. So you probably know my wife better than I, and that's a good thing. She's my, my beautiful wife. She keeps me in line. I'm usually the quiet one that's behind the scenes. And if you, if you see me on Sunday, I'm probably the one that's carrying a one of the flags or the banners, and I, I push the carts. I like to do the setup and tear down. I also am part of the, the safety team here. But it's an honor to come to you um, and preach the Word. I do, I do enjoy doing that from time to time, and it's, it's quite the honor. I, I, am a, I used to be a licensed pastor. I guess I still am, but um, I've been in law enforcement for 32 years now, and that's really um, where I have my heart lies. I guess I should say I've been either a soldier in the military or in law enforcement for about 32 years, and, and I'm still, still doing it, going strong. But in preparation for, of teaching God's Word, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to read uh, to you verses 12 through 17, and this is uh, one of John's three letters. Now, John also wrote the Gospel of John, as you know, in the book of Revelation. But this is his longest of his three letters. And we're going to be in chapter 2, and I'd like to ask you if you would please do me the honor in standing as we read God's Word. And last time I preached, I got a little, I got a little crazy. I, I got all fired up, and I started pressing through the slides really quickly. I'm going to try not to do that. Um, but Let's, uh, let's start with verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God remains in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We'll go back. They missed some verses for me in my slides. We're going to continue on in verse 15, because this is the important, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come to you this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, and our desire is that you would be honored in the reading of your word and in the declaration of your truths. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would be with us this morning, that your hand would be upon us, that you would guide our hearts through your word, and I pray that we would cast away all the worldly thoughts and desires and focus on you this morning, right here, right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated for me. So the Apostle Paul is giving us a warning here. He strongly warns us against loving the world. He explains this temporal world is passing away. 
but the one who lives for God will live forever. When danger is near, we often get warning signs, don't we? There's all types of warning signs. In fact, I was just downstairs. This wasn't part of my sermon. But I remember when I was a homicide detective, I was up in Flagstaff investigating a homicide, and I I went to Denny's, and in fact, Steve Myers probably doesn't know this, but Steve was in Denny's at the time, and I ran across him. And we said hi and whatnot, and then I had to go use the restroom. And I went and used the restroom. And as I was coming out of the restroom, my partner was going into the restroom, except he was going into the other restroom. <laughs> I used to use the women's restroom. And so sometimes we have, we have signs all over the place. And we forget about those signs. And my mind goes back to those instances of those signs. But I want to share with you a few signs here. Look at this one. There's a good chance an accident brought you into this world. Do not let one take you out of it. That's pretty good. I I probably needed that throughout my my life. I, I need to remember that now. What about this one? You've been warned. Warning, you've been warned. Yep, yep. How about this one? Warning, don't steal. The government hates competition. <laughs> hates competition. Right? There's warning signs everywhere we go. How about this one? No diving. Four feet. Have you ever noticed when you go on a... I got to apologize to the camera. I, I like to move around. Have you ever noticed when you go to a swimming pool that there's no lifeguard on duty? There's warning signs everywhere. In fact, there's so many warning signs that tells you 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 forget what you can do. Like, well, can I actually just get in and stand in the pool, right? There's no smoking, no glass bottles. But this one, no diving, is probably the most important, right? It reminds me of a time um, when my kids were younger. We went to, and some of you may have gone to it, there's a water park at South Mountain. And I've told this story before, but it's been a while. And as we're talking about John's letter and we're talking about warning signs, I always remember this one. We're at this water park, my kids and I and my wife, four kids, two of our little kids were very, very tiny. Um, Annie had just been born. And we're at this water park, we have fun. Then we go back to one of the pools that's out by where you actually stay, you know, by your room. We had this whole pool to to ourselves. McKenna, Spencer, and me. Lindsay was up in the, in the room taking care of our two younger ones, this, this beautiful pool. It was, it, was, it, was, it was great. But I had decided, I'm going to teach my kids how to dive, right? I was on a dive team in Phoenix when I was younger. I have 16 stitches of scar in my head for when I hit the diving board because I had failed once at diving. So I decided I'm going to teach my kids how to dive. The problem is, these signs were everywhere, everywhere, because the deepest part of that pool was four feet deep. I was like, well, you know, that really doesn't apply to me because I'm a professional. (laughs) And so I get up and I stand right at the edge of the pool. In fact, I stood right on the sign that said no diving. Right? And it's written by some attorney, this older attorney, I'm sure, that wanted to take all the liability off of the institution, right? The, the, the hotels. There's just warning signs everywhere. And it's an admonition to the younger kids. It's a warning to the kind of the middle age kids, if you will. Don't be foolish. But it was also a warning to the parents. Hey, keep an eye on your kids. Don't let them do something foolish. That's for you. 
but they forgot about me. Like, <laughs> I, I was the older. I'm supposed to be the one that's keeping my kids in line. So I step up to this, uh, the edge of this pool, and my form was really good, <laughs> I got to say. I, I hit that water. I split the water, and I thought, surely I can pull up, you know, in time. Boom. I hit my face so hard on the bottom of that pool. I remember coming up out of the water. I'm like, well, I wonder if my kids heard that. (laughs) And maybe they won't notice. But as I came up out of the water, the look on my kids' faces said it all. I had split my face wide open and there was blood everywhere. And I still remember the, the look on my kids' face, the shock as I came up out of that water. I'm like, well, this is going to be bad. The problem that I have is I have a very hard head. And in the past, I've used it as weapon so many times playing sports. In fact, when I was playing baseball one time, a base runner came home and I was protecting home plate. I hit him so hard, I cracked the catcher's helmet right in half. So it, that's just, I have this really thick, hard head. And sometimes that's why the warnings don't <laughs> come in, I think. But Paul, see, he's given us this warning today. And I immediately thought of that, that story in that moment in the swimming pool and the other examples in my life as I turned to this second chapter of 1 John. See, John was about 100 years old, and I love this painting here of John. And as we go through, I just want you to picture the Apostle John, right? The Apostle that Jesus loved, like sat next to Jesus, was taught by Jesus, And at the time that he's writing this epistle, he's about 100 years old. And he's kind of like that attorney, if you will, that wrote all of those warnings, trying to admonish us and teach us the path that we should be taking. I I think about that. And as as John, as we read through this this, uh, passage, John likes to use the term little children. In fact, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, where we are today, he says, my little children. We see it again in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. Verse 28, now little children abide in him. Chapter 3, verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Chapter 3, verse 18, little children, let us not love the the word or the tongue, but in deed and truth. Chapter 4, verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So all throughout his letter, he uses children as one of his favorite titles. And John is saying to all of us in this family, you belong to God. You are his beloved children. He guides you. He protects you. He teaches you. He corrects you. Moreover, look at verse 12 in chapter 2. The garments of purity and righteousness are upon you. Now, he's kind of telling us, now behave yourself. But in verse 12, he says, I'm writing you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. So if you find yourself sitting here today and you're a believer, you can find yourself in verse 12. 
Then he writes to the older, for people like me, standing on top of that warning sign, right? I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. Never think because you have grown older in Christ, you have grown up in Christ. These warnings are for us, for all ages, and that's what John is trying to tell us. But John also includes young men. Young men. I remember myself in the military. You know, young men who need the word of God. Verse 14 tells us they're walking strong, living victoriously. They've rejected the false teaching and they are remaining faithful to their Lord and Savior. There is nothing wrong with youth. In fact, the youth have the strength the older do not have in many ways. And before you think there is a whole world of life to be lived, this text applies to all of us. All of us. That's why before we start talking about the world, he prefaces it by, look, if you're a believer, no matter how old you are, you need to heed this warning. Let me add one meaning to the older. Those of us that have, have grown up in the church and we, we have maybe led a successful career, sometimes we feel we have it all figured out. We feel we have a special corner on maneuvering through this life. We feel we have the scars to prove it. We've successfully come out on the other side. We've had hard knocks. We've slogged through the crucible. We've known heartache, heartbreak, betrayal, and great successes and joys. We're veterans. You should listen to us as I teach you how to dive. We, the problem is we come across that way. We come across that way as veterans, as people who think they know better. And that's what John is telling us. If you feel that way in your life, I want you to remember Job chapter 32, verse 9, where he says, great men are not always wise, neither do the older understand justice. Eugene Peterson said this, getting old does not guarantee good sense. Getting old does not guarantee good sense. Like, what lesson am I teaching my kids? Like, they can read as I slam my face into the bottom of the pool. Right? Getting older does not necessarily guarantee good sense. Now, for the warning for everyone in living in this world. Look for me at verse 15 in chapter 2, 1 John. Verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Wanting everything for yourself, wanting to feel important, has nothing to do with the Father. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is passing away. 
is passing away. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. That should be simple enough for all of us, right? Simple truth for all of us. We can all understand that and move forward. But what, is the, what does God mean by the word world? What does he mean by the word world? He doesn't mean nature. He doesn't mean people. We, we are to love those things. Those are his creation, his handiwork. The word that he uses here is cosmos. K-O-S-M-O-S. Cosmos means a system, an order of things, a philosophy. Charles Ryrie gives this definition of cosmos. It is that organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out and is a rival to him. That's what we're talking about. This organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out. That's our world. That's where you work. That's where you find entertainment. That's where you live. It's an atmosphere where values are embraced that are not our values. It is a world of humanity that exists that is a rebellion against the living God, characterized by all the opposition to him, the values, the pleasures, the the pastimes, the attitudes that comprise the life Those who have no place for God live. No patience for God live. I want you to underline that verse for me. 1 John 2.15 Underline that verse. Highlight it in your phone. And remember the world that we're talking about. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love this world and love God Almighty at the same time. You can't do it. You cannot love this world that is a system, a philosophy that leaves God out and love God at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. There is a prince over this world. Who's the prince? Look at John chapter 12, verses 31 through 32. John chapter 12, 31, 32. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As Christ is going to the cross, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world, and now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And who is the prince of this world? It is Satan. It is Satan. And we have this this vision of who Satan is, don't we? And in our world, because he's in charge of the world. He wants to make you to believe that you can easily identify Satan before he gets to you. That's why all, you know, how many people ring your doorbell on Halloween and their little kids are dressed as the devil? Not very many anymore, but you used to have that. Little, little horns pitchfork, little fork tail, right? You watch TV, and how is he represented? As this evil, hideous-looking demon. That is not the Satan of our world. 
Adrian Rogers, great preacher who's now passed away, he said, if Satan walked through these doors, those doors would open and everybody would be like, oh, it's beautiful. Satan is hideously beautiful. Hideously beautiful. He's created the angel of light. Never think that you can recognize him coming. He's a prince of this world. John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this to believers. And we know we are of God and the whole world lie in wickedness. As believers, we know we are of God and the whole world, the whole world lie in wickedness. Lie, the term for lie means cradle in your lap. Cradle in the lap. Wickedness means the wicked one. Scripture is telling us that the whole world is cradled in the lap of the wicked one. And we are being rocked to sleep and led astray. The whole world lie in wickedness. We're being rocked to sleep. Think about the world that we live in. The world has a philosophy. A philosophy. There's an enticing network of values that are skillfully woven together to slay the guilty and entrap the innocent. Very quickly, I would just like you to listen to these verses. Very quickly, I'm gonna, and I may go a little fast. But 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 2, verse 12, is the spirit of the world. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, the wisdom of the world. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. Foolishness in the sight of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31, the fashion of the world. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it for the present form of this world is passing away. Passing away. And then 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. The pollution of the world. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. That verse is about false teachers. That verse is about the lost who have basically been taught through all the poisons of the world, the, the defilement of the world, and the influence and the death that comes to us from the world, they see that, they see this benefit in Jesus Christ, but they don't accept and believe who He is, and they leave that message, and then they're again entangled. God is saying that that portion of their life is going to be far worse than the previous far worse than the previous. There is a calculated plan to this worldly system. The world is hostile to the things of God. 
And this is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 7, verse 7. You can turn to that one. That's important. Highlight it. Remember it. John chapter 7, verse 7. Again, just picture John, right? 100 years old. He wasn't 100 when he wrote this, but this old guy telling us, the attorney, like, heed this warning. I walked with Christ. It is so worth it. Just heed this warning. And here's what Jesus tells us in John chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. Does this world hate Jesus? You better believe it. This world absolutely hates Jesus. This system to where Satan sits over it hates Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Why does the system hate Jesus? Chapter 7, verse 7 in John, it hates me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. Its deeds are evil. Jesus rips the darkness away and shows the system for what it is. I want you to think about a couple of things right now. I want you to think about a couple of things I want you to think about how, the, how this world has distorted God's creation. I want you to think about all of the information that we get from social media. All of the information that we get from our legislators. All the information that we get from the laws. I actually thought about bringing you law books in here because I have them in my office, right? You know, I'm the, I'm, a, I'm the chief deputy for the sheriff's office and I have examples of these law books. You know, and 15 years ago, the, the law book was about this big. About this big. That doesn't include all of the common law or, or whatnot that we use in court, but just the laws that, like the criminal code and the traffic code was about this big, Right? And I have them stacked up in this progression, if you will. It goes this, this, gets thicker every year. This year. And this is just a book, like this is the quick reference. It's like this thick. I want you to think about how we distort God's truth in our system. Now I want you to think about this. Do you want a world that hated Jesus to love you? Do you want a world that hated Jesus to love you? He tells us in verse 7 in in chapter 7 verse 7 in John the world cannot hate you. If you belong to the world, the world's going to love you and you're going to love the world. The world will hate you if you represent Christ. If you represent Christ. Jesus also tells us that. This world distorts everything. Distorts his own creation. To where we're not even supposed to know until we ask somebody, are you a man or a woman? How lost are we? How lost are we? That is the satanic world that's been created for us, that's ruled over by the prince. Do not, what does John say? Do not love this world. Do not. There's good news though, right? There's good news. 
There's good news. This, this world is not our home. I try to remind people that all the time. One of my favorite verses, favorite verses of all time, and there's so many, right? right? But, but my favorite, some that I, I tattoo, you know, I have a tattoo of Ephesians 6 on here because I'm a cop and I, I like the whole armor of God. It helps me move forward day to day. But Paul says this, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Paul, who really thought of himself as the chief sinner, there's nobody worse. Constantly do the things I'm not supposed to do, but I don't do the things that I'm supposed to do because he lives in this world. He says, if, if I'm going to live in this world, it's going to be for Christ. But man, when I get to pass, it's so much better. That's the gain. That's the reward. That's where I want to be, right? This is not our home. Not our home. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I'm wrapping it up here. I'm going to show you a little video. We're, we're, we're wrapping up. I love this passage here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are foreigners in a culture that is not our own. Our citizenship is in heaven. And for a reason, we are left here on this earth. Like Paul said, God has not made a mistake by having us continue to walk on this planet. You are here for a purpose. If you reside in verse 12 of chapter 2, verse John you and your believer, you reside here for a purpose. And we are to live for Him. He's not surprised in heaven by our sinfulness. He's not surprised of the ways of this world. We're in this world for a purpose. We need to understand we represent a different culture. As we live among a foreign culture, we should be the diamond in the coal mine. Think of it that way. As you move through life, as you go to work, as you play, as you go to the store, as you come here to church, and you want to you envelop everything that he has to teach, you should be the diamond in the coal mine. I'm going to show you a clip here as we close. And I used to be a sports fanatic, absolute fanatic, right? Played football, baseball. I even lettered in golf between football and baseball because I got bored. You know, wrestled, dive team, split my head open. I didn't say I was good at it, but I just played it, right? But I loved watching it. The best thing I ever, you know, football season, right? I love football. Love football. Still have my high school football at home. Like, I would hit people so hard with my head, I tell you I have a hard head. I wore all the rubber off the face mask. Now they don't let you play that way. Like if you, hit, you get hit in the head, we're like, oh, bring Jeff out. Might have a concussion. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's different age, right? But I've become disenchanted. Like I used to love watching Brian Bosworth play. For, I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. 
Brian Bosworth, middle linebacker. I played fullback, middle linebacker. Chris Zorich, if you know that name, nose tackle for Notre Dame. Those are the guys that I like to watch. Like that's where the war's being waged on the field. Now I'm disenchanted. Not because there's not good athletes, but because now even college players are getting nil money, name and likeness money, right? They can enter the transfer, transfer portal and go from one school to the next anytime they want. My good friend whose daughter plays on the DePaul basketball team starts for DePaul in Chicago. She was graduating. She only has one semester left of college basketball, or really college. And she transferred from that college to another college, her senior, after playing three and a half years with DePaul because of the transfer portal and some nil money. I'm going to show you a clip. I want you to keep in mind everything that we've talked about today, about the world, about being a diamond in a coal mine, being a diamond in this life as we go through. Watch this clip. We're going to back our left. Alex, start with ESPN. For, for the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long? I mean, anxiety seems like a thing that can very easily set in. Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I... I was so happy to win the college, I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that, and I think that is what makes our team so strong, is that we're not afraid to lose, because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously, we've worked our butts off to be here, and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world, because our life is in Christ, and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like we were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for. And that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And 
no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our king. So, Patty, uh, you've got to keep your eye on the prize and, and really work with these players. Boomer Sooner, that's all i got to say. Now, that team, if you haven't been following college softball, that was a, that was a press conference that happened this week, this last week. The Oklahoma Sooner softball team there, led by Patty Gasso, if I'm pronouncing her name right, is on a 53-game win streak. They have won their third national title, World College World's they call it, the, it's a national title, but it's the Women's Softball World College Series, if you will, College World Series, three years in a row. Three years in a row. You can see the, what's important to them. They mesh together as a team so well because there's no one individual. When you see them play, it's no joke. They get a hit and their eyes on Christ all the time. National stage, national stage, the entire press conference was about Christ. It's just impressive. The only next step that I would have for you this week as you go forward is just think about the influence that the world has on you and think about where you should be in that world living for Christ. The example that you are for others in Christ. Are you that diamond in the coal mine? Would you pray with me, please? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you with open hearts. I would pray, Lord, that for each and every one of us, that portion of our life that you're trying to give us a warning sign on, that portion of our life that is leading us astray, that portion of our life that has overtaken you in first place, I pray that you would help us recognize that, that as we move forward this week, as we move forward in this life, that we would remember who we are, who we represent, and what we should be doing. Lord, I want you to place on each one of the hearts of my brothers and sisters here and for those new believers, maybe those that don't know you, what am I doing for you? What am I doing for you? And may, through the Holy Spirit, you make that very abundant to us in this coming week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.